This New America NYC event took place on March 15, 2017, and is titled Water and Power, A California Heist, and is part of a social cinema screening at Tumblr, and features Marina Zanovich, Adam Keats, Apamanu Lal, and Justin Warland. So I think it might make sense to get started talking a bit about uh, the movie and how the project came about. So Juliet, if you want to tell us about that. Yeah, so um, this, you know, this idea was born at Jigsaw Productions, which is um, a company in New York City. And um, essentially, um, you know, a lot of great minds just they really wanted to do something about water. Um, you know, California, obviously, um, what with the drought, that was kind of where we went to first. But um, but I, I would say it really started with the Monterey Amendments. Um, you know, we, we, we had read about it. We had, you know, talked to a lot of people about it. So we just started digging. And um, of course, um, with digging, we, we realized that it was a a beast. <laughs> um, uh, California water just, um, you know, has deep, complex history. Um, so that's when we started reaching out to people like Adam, to people like Mark Arax, John Gibbler, um, and realized that there was a, you know, a much bigger story to tell, um, and an ongoing one, what with the drought in, in California. And kind of just went from there, interviewing people for many, many months. Yeah, I thought, I mean, it was, uh, you did a great job of making it a, a compelling story with something that's obviously a complex subject. And I just wanted to see if you had thoughts about how do you encourage people to uh, talk about, or how do you get people to talk about something so complex, um, you know, through through film? But you know, how do you do? You have thoughts about how to make such a complex subject relatable and understandable? Yeah, I mean, it was that was a a very those were a lot of hard decisions that we had to make. We talked to a lot of people um, throughout the process of this, and um, I mean, Marina Zenovich, the director. Um, you know that that was really you know on her how do how do you translate such a complex issue and and you know put it in eighty minutes um, that that people like will sit through and, and watch. Um, I would just say you know read um, you know read as much as you can talk about it like call people Adam you know he answered my phone call the first time I called him and you know you, if you're curious just start reaching out reaching out to people. Um, so you see what you can, you know, find. Was there anything on the cutting room floor that you think might be worth sharing? Things that didn't make it in that were important or interesting, but just didn't make the time cut? Yeah, um, we actually, it's actually on natgeo.com, but um, there was a, we, we, di we did devote quite a bit of time talking about um, how Enron actually tried to get into the water. Um, they, they actually tried to do something similar to the Resnicks by a water bank. Um, and the locals actually successfully uh, fought back and did not allow them to do so. So there is kind of this um, separate 10-minute video um, that we cut for Nat Geo that explains um, what happened with Enron and, and um, you know, how the locals actually, you know, fended them off from their, their precious water source. Right. Um, I guess, Adam, I'd, I'd love to hear a bit about uh, where you are now and where things are now. I mean, the last we see of you in the movie, you're at DWR, and um, uh, I guess you have your environmental impact statement, a new one, but uh, you know, what's happened since then, and, and where are things going from here? 
Right, so that last scene was um, the public hearing for that, the latest EIR is the third attempt at environmental review that they've done on the current water bank transfer. Um, the final version of that came out 45 days later. It was exactly what we expected it to be, which was just a repeat of what they've been doing the last two tries for the past 13, 14 years. And so we filed a new lawsuit. That's our third lawsuit filed now. Um, 30 days after that, I have a hearing Friday in Sacramento in that case. Um, it's active. Meanwhile, there are other claims related to the Monterey Amendments in addition to the current water bank, and we are litigating those in the appellate court in Sacramento. We're waiting for a hearing. So there's two active cases right now, one on the appellate level, one in the trial court. What's the, what is the time frame for, for all of this? I mean, I would love that appeal to be done <laughs> in last year, um, and, but they've been known to wait a couple years. I mean, it's, I don't know. Right now, I have no idea. Um, and the trial court one, that will probably be it's going to trail the appeal. It'll probably be a couple years after. I would, I would expect. I mean, I, I when I first started this case, I mean, almost the first hearing, I was at a, a courtroom, and one of the opposing counsel came up and said, "Oh, you know, you saw, you know, fresh blood," and he's like, "Oh, you know, you have any kids? Um, they're going to be in college before you're done with this case." And I was like, I laughed. I said, "You know, I'm, I'm, I'm action oriented. I'm not at a law firm. I'm not billing hours. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna take care of this thing. We're gonna rush it through." And yeah, so seven years later, I mean, and we're no further, we were, we're, we're, even if we win the appeal, all it does is set us back to the starting line of being able to actually challenge the transfer. And so I'd say, I mean, really, like, how long is this litigation going to last? I mean, it very well could be 20 years. I know 20 years is not an unreasonable amount of time that this could take. Yeah. Um, maybe you both either, well, I'll start with you. Well, can you speak to some of the other things that are, um, that are happening outside of the lawsuit? Sigma was mentioned uh, in there in the movie, uh, but there's also been propositions and all sorts of other things um, to deal with some of these issues. And uh, do you think there's uh, forward, there's progress in the way that you would like to see? And you know, what are some of those things? Well, I mean, and I touch on in the movie that my comments about the, um, the the marketing, the securities industry aspect of this whole thing. I think that's very real, and it's 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 happening. It's a there there are great forces pushing that and trying to make that happen in California. Um, and whether it's going to be you know uh, securities industry driven or whether it's going to be real, just you know just a pure water marketplace, I don't know. But there is legislation proposed. There was last year. There is again this year to facilitate trading in marketplaces and to create kind of a, an Australian style trading floor. And there are elected officials that are explicit. You know, I've been to Australia, I love what they're doing. We need to do that here in California. It's the best thing we can do. And so I think that's the biggest, you know, aside from this long-term battle of returning the current water bank and returning the state water project system to a sustainable model that's based on, you know, equitable, sustainable principles. Beyond that, I think we really have to be fighting off, out in California, we're gonna be fighting off this marketing water marketplace uh, you know, campaign. Are there other sort of, that's a, I guess, a, a defensive measure almost, are there other positive uh, sort of things that could come out of a state government that could help? Uh, yeah, they could just maybe um, fight so much that they don't do anything. I mean, yeah. that's probably the best thing, best case scenario. Sigma was a huge achievement. I mean, it really was, I, I, I talk about it negatively about the time frame, but the actual law is actually is pretty good. I mean, there are some positive, this, this drought was shocking and it has woken people up and it's woken people up that had been quiet for a long time that her just thought business as usual was okay. And so there are, yeah, I'd say groundwater management's a positive thing. I'd say activists being aware of what's going on and being more involved locally and more involved in their water, that's a positive thing. 
Um, and but I think major legislation were, you know, Brown, Governor Brown is okay on some things, but on water, he's not the best. And so we're, uh, you know, in my business, we're very defensive oriented. We have to be. That's just the worst. We're kind of trapped spending all our time running defense. Right. Um, I, uh, be curious, I'd be curious to hear thoughts on uh, sort of the, the it's been a lot of snow and rain in California the last few months. How does that change, I guess, A, this actual concrete situation for California, uh, and also what is it, how does it change the perception of, of the issue? I mean, as you alluded to, there's been a lot of uh, action because of um, the fact that there has been, a, there was a terrible drought. Uh, what is, how does this change things? Yeah, I mean, the no, no question on a surface water level in terms of reservoirs, we are in great shape. Our reservoirs, our capacity are overflowing and breaking dams down and there's gonna be tons of water and you can plant whatever you wanna plant right now and you can grow whatever you wanna grow and there's water to go everywhere right now. There's no question on the surface, but the water, the ground is so saturated, it's not all going to the groundwater. The groundwater banks are, and all the groundwater aquifers are still completely depleted. We're in crisis mode throughout the state on that level. and. You know, we're gonna, it sounds like it's gonna rain next week. Um, again, we're gonna get another little Pineapple Express or something, but at any minute the rain could stop. We, we know that, and it could stop for six more years. You know, we don't know. I mean, right now it's all those trees and all those aquifers, it, it's, it's very ephemeral. And I think everyone right now knows that. They remember it. They're aware that this is unusual, and, but we don't, I don't think we expect it to last. Um, Umana, Umana, I wanna bring you in and ask uh, about the question that where all conversations seem to lead to today is, which is uh, federal government, and we uh, was alluded to in the introduction, cuts at the EPA, a change in uh, a lot of uh, the approach to some of these issues, perhaps. I mean, what are your general thoughts on that? First, let me say something about this movie. You know, what a great all-Americans dream story. Mm -hmm. uh, you have the bank robber, you have the, the wicked witch of the West, um, you know, you have everything there. Uh, how could you not love this? I mean, I, the reason I came to America was I saw all the Westerns, instead of coming to MIT or Cornell or Columbia, I chose to go to Texas because that's where this was going to be at. So look at Mr. Resnick, guy from New Jersey, you know, New Jersey, think about it. And he goes West as a young man, with one single dream, how he's going to rob the bank. And he does it, come on, you're going yep. to love this. That's the story here. But the, the, the question that Justin is asking me, really, we are a nation in crisis. You have to believe that. It's, it has to do not just with this president. We have had abject neglect of this sort of an issue for a very, very long time. I would say since Reagan. Uh, in January, I was at an international conference that the Chinese had organized. So it was a US-China National Science Foundation conference in China. The Chinese professors there presented a story of this is what China has recognized are the water problems it has created through growth in the last 30 years. This is what we want to do about it. This is the amount of money, three, five million dollars for research projects, individual research projects, where the fact professors are supposed to come back with ideas that are now on markets, that are on equitable use of water, and they're going to implement it. And my reaction was, um, you're asking us to teach you what, we sh what you should do, <laughs> really? <laughs> and I basically said that, you know, I congratulated them. Now, the interesting thing is that there was a gentleman there 
who heads the Institute of Water Resources for the US Army Corps of Engineers. So this is perhaps the top water planner in the country. And he cut in and he said that, well, you know, they can do things because they're a dictatorship. We are a democracy. And I was going, wow, we should be really proud of that, you know? <laughs> so I think the central issue here is not that the EPA had a 30% cut, but across the board, as the movie shows, the DWR was essentially not functional in the mm -hmm. particular story we are talking about. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons we have no functioning government uh, activities in these, this particular area is we have no investment going into even assessing what the resource is. So if you looked at the California State Water Project, you would want to know how much water you could have with what frequency, how, what is the persistence characteristics of droughts, what does that drought translate into? What can you really supply with that? This information is not publicly available. And by the way, the state climatologist is a good friend of mine. He's a former student. I was on his PhD committee, okay? So he's a good guy, but it's the system that we are talking about. It's not the individuals. So if you don't invest in knowing what your resources are, you don't invest in knowing who's using them and for what, the questions that you're struggling with, Adam, I just don't see where you go with that. Mm -hmm. So that's basically the point. I th yeah, I think I think that that's it's a it's a it's a great point right now. The state water project, and we know a little bit about um, the the inputs and the outputs. And the, the little that we know is that the system was designed to supply 4.2 million acre feet a year with with dams in the north, and they built out facilities uh, reliably. You know, given the given the you know cyclical water supply in California. They build up about, about half the facilities, and then our great environmentalist of the century, Ronald Reagan, uh, <laughs> had named a number of rivers up there uh, wild and scenic. And so they weren't allowed to build dams on a whole bunch of rivers. So the actual sustainable capacity of the State Water Project is actually around 2, 2.1, 2.3 million acre feet. But they're still using the 4.2 million acre feet number in how they divide the water up. Um, this gets I won't go deeper into the weeds than that, but there, that system, California since you know early 80s has been, or, or sorry, early 90s, right when this Monterey Amendment thing happened, has been um, living a dream on, on false paper water that was, that's not available. If you want more info, there's a fact sheet about the Monterey Amendments that has, gets into more details about that, that talks about that whole relationship. This paper water concept is embedded in the, the economy of California, the water economy, it's, it's crazy. Um, I, I'm curious if do you have thoughts on solutions, potential ways forward. I, I know you seem to say stay out of it. The government stays out of it. Or no, California, no, no, no. California. The current government. The current California. government. We need to elect better people, but the current government right now. Fair, yeah. fair enough. But I, I asked the same question to Bob. Okay, so the the point that Adam just made, you know, about the paper water versus the actual water, this is true of the Colorado River project mm -hmm. as well, right? So the, the solution we have had since the middle of the 90s is that the Secretary of the Interior meets with all the states and makes a judgment call on who gets what each year. Fascinating system, right? Um, would you consider doing the same thing with energy? You know, uh, the big difference there is that historically energy has been something you have mined. So it's not a renewable resource. So this issue of variability doesn't enter. But where we are headed in a positive sense is that in the next 10 years,
probably a significant amount of our electricity and hence energy for other uses is going to come from solar and wind, which are renewable resources with variability. So we are about to enter an mm -hmm. era where a market process for how we deal with this situation and yet another resource is going to become maybe slowly transparent, right? Mm -hmm. Now, in terms of solutions, um, there are technical solutions and there are policy solutions. The policy solutions are frankly messy because you, it's very difficult to undo rights that have been given to people without essentially buying, them, buying those rights back to the state and then reallocating them. That I don't think California or others are prepared to do. So that's a challenge. But on the technical side, what's interesting is the following. Um, currently, if I do desalination using thermoelectric sources, that comes in at 50 cents a cubic meter. Okay. The $200 an acre foot that they were talking about as the big number, that translates to around 10 cents a cubic meter. Okay. So that's substantially lower. Mm -hmm. So presently, the ceiling would be five times that because you could generate as much water out of that as you wanted. Solar today is hitting three cents a kilowatt hour as compared to fossil fuels at around 12 cents a kilowatt hour. You, I actually pay 25 cents a kilowatt hour because I have to pay Con Edison to deliver the electricity mm. to me, et cetera, right? But if I had solar right where I needed it to transform the saline water, I would be looking at around 20 cents a kilowatt hour. Now you see where I'm going with this game. So from a solutions point of view, if we argue that the urban users are likely to pay dramatically more than $200 an acre foot to get the raw water, um, taking their wastewater, purifying it to drinking water standards, or taking salt water and purifying it to that with solar or wind becomes eminently feasible. Okay, that's a game changer. So all these people who want to bet on the price of water going up to infinity, I'm sorry, infinity is not within your reach. I mean, so you're, you're saying that basically the desalination, the energy costs of desalination are going to be dropping in a way that's going to make desalination affordable. I, that that it, 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 it's a great question. I mean, everyone's looking at desal. I mean, there's a giant coast. California's a huge coastline. What's happening with desal? Right now, we're not there yet. Everyone, the problem is that the energy costs aren't there. Our renewable energy supplies aren't sufficient enough. If we get there, I think that'd be make a, right, make a big no, difference. No, the, energy, a the energy costs have come down to that number. Yeah. You know, there's other aspects with desalination. What are you using for membranes? Uh -huh. You know, how expensive is that? Uh -huh. uh, how do you have to recycle that? So there's advances in membrane technology as well that are happening. Uh -huh. Now, the neat thing about the solar or wind application to water purification is that the big cost in delivering solar energy to you is the cost of batteries because you have variability. That's what I was referring to earlier, right? Uh -huh. So that's the killer. Uh -huh. But with water production, you can produce that water when that energy is available. And so the storage of electricity translates into a storage of water. Mm. So it's a perfect mm -hmm. match from that point of view. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. Um, I, I'd love to get some uh, audience questions. I, I know that at least one, anyone other? Hi, I want to talk about the Australia model moving to the US and the uh, suspicion that it's more likely than not, as there are people with resources dedicated to that model. So the question is, is there a way to revamp that, whether it's recalibrating the paper money versus actual and the flow and, and shifting the percentage allocations so that 
nature's built in and the poor are built in or the community aspect or forgive me, whatever that community is. And then there's the for-profit, which essentially is what's going on right now, but they're the only players in almonds versus tangerines versus whomever. I think we have to face the fact that that is barreling toward us and we have to find a way to make that work for us soon. Every conversation that about the Australian model and about um, commodification of water, marketplace for water, always starts with the, the ifs or the, you know, the ifs that you just gave, the conditions that you start with. And the problem is there isn't a single model anywhere in the world that those conditions have been met. Um, California right now, I can tell you, it actually is state law regarding the Delta uh, that, that there needs to be an accounting of what's gonna, what the intake or the inputs are needed for the Delta in terms of the environment, in terms of uh, Delta farmers, in terms of communities that uh, use, the, use the water, in terms of fisher, the fishing industry, the salmon industry. The law is there that they actually, that's supposed to be, they're all supposed to be the baseline. And that, that's a battle that, that, that no one on the environmental side can afford to fight. I mean, we just, we don't, we don't have, we, we, were, we are fighting like crazy and they're bleeding us dry. It's not possible to ever, uh, it, so yeah, you, you see where I'm going with this. I mean, the, in my opinion, we absolutely can't, those conditions, I can't, I can't start with those conditions being satisfied. I have to assume they never will be satisfied. Yeah, exactly. In 1995, I, I am. I'm doing it right now. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a there's a movement right now, a human right to water movement that I think is very attractive. I think it's very um, it's very solid. I think that there's a environmental justice uh, water communities in California are making a very good argument about um, what those needs are. The environmental community is um, doing like, a better job trying to quantify needs, um, but. Uh, you know, and the fishing industry is getting more organized. I think that those different communities, uh, the Delta farming communities. Well, I mean, the, the, the only place in mass, in the only place in, in the United States that's happening is California right now. That's yeah, the only. In terms of a, a, a Nevada, Colorado, Arizona. Well, for a mar marketplace, and how far along are we with a marketplace in, in Nevada? In there is an organized experiment with the Australians participating that's going on in two counties to, to develop a full-fledged water market and see how it performs. All right, I got my work cut out for me then. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, thank you for that uh, discussion. Um, I'm curious, is there some issue with corruption in the judicial branch in California that's making this such a drawn-out process? Not, I don't, I would say no, I, not that I'm aware of. My comment there about how all we gotta do is get the judges to, to, to realize their, to do their job, it wasn't so much that, about corruption, it was more about the scale of what we're asking them to do is so massive that it's difficult for them to, to, to wrap their heads around it. You know, like the, how, you know you're, we're asking judges to reverse something that's 20 years old. And in our case, the judge said, I, yes, they broke the law. Yes, the law requires me to reverse it. No, I'm not gonna do it. I'm just a judge. So that's, that was, that was, that's what we're trying to accomplish. I don't know if I have this acronym correct. Is SIGMA uh, mm -hmm. legislation? Mm -hmm. uh, that seems to be, from the film, a very drawn out um, progression. I mean, a vest over a long period of time. Uh, how much of an impact is that going to have? 
I mean, it's a, that's a great question. Who, who knows how much water they're going to suck out between now and whenever the regulations go into oh. place? Yeah, all of it. <laughs> all right. As much as they can. Hello. Hi. Um, I'm also from, I'm from California, and I've been really concerned about our water since, I think, childhood. <laughs> that's what happens in growing up in California. But um, I'm just curious what kind of action, like, what kind of legal action Californians can take? I mean, a class action lawsuit maybe, or, or um, things that would actually get things moving, because I guess I'm curious, are they technically stealing water from, from Californians? Like, is, if we're all paying for it with our tax dollars and it's being privatized, then, and like you said, the judge said, yeah, that was illegal, but he's not gonna reverse the law. Like, what kind of, actions can we take maybe judicially that would speed the process up? Yeah, I mean, certainly my group is looking at everything we can do judicially. It's mostly an environmental review as the zone. There is a, a, a law in California that you can challenge the validity of contracts. And so the whole Monterey Amendments, we are trying to challenge the validity of those contracts. But you can only file that validation action within 30 days of the contract being signed. But you can't sign a contract until you've done your environmental review. And so that gets back to that question about what we want the judge to do. We want him to reverse it back far enough so that we can file our validation action and then go at the, you know, to knock, the, knock, the, knock it down at the roots. But beyond that, I mean, there are this environmental justice stuff that's happening. I think it's very interesting, the human rights stuff. There are people looking at um, like more tort-like actions about water use that I think is it's way outside of my zone of expertise and it's, it's very fascinating. Question for sorry. I was going to say, um, Doug OBG from the Natural Resources Defense Council in the film, he's, he's amazing. Like mm -hmm. he, that, that, I mean, that organization in itself, it's, it's wonderful. If you did, you know, if you wanted to do something, follow up, they would be the place to go to. Aside from my group. Aside from Adam's group. <laughs> so Adam, a question for you quickly. Uh, do you think that the kind of laws that apply to mining can be applied here. So if you extract water, you would have to pay royalties. Any harm that you cause, you have to remediate uh, and you have to pay for that. So would that be something that, you know, now that, especially for groundwater, because you are actually mining that resource. So it should come under the purview of mining, it seems. I mean, I'm not an expert in mining at all. My gut reaction to that is I don't think that the laws concerning mining have benefited the environment at all. I think mining is a disaster and it's caused great environmental harm. I would expect if we were gonna, I would, so I'd say no, I'd, that, that's a model I'd probably be resistant to. Yeah. I, I see. I disagree. I don't think water is a resource that we should be thinking about trading that way. I think water. It, it, I think it's important to recognize. It's like on an economic level, it. Well, this is this is the argument against that. I mean, it is the most precious. It. it, it I don't even like saying it's important to life. Water is life. It's in soil, it's in trees, it's in the air, it's in everywhere we are. It's everything, everything we are, everything we is, everything we was, all of it is water. It's, and I think it's important, I do think it's important to, to take a, a, to approach water from a, a moral uh, position and then say, you know what, and, and you're right, yeah, that's why we're fighting it. People are trying this. I'm not denying that they're trying to do this. 
But I think that it's, this is not something we should be doing that with. Is the, and I, I, I start everything from that position. I wanted to jump in with a question about one of the characters in the film, um, the Resnicks. Um, can you give us a little bit of color around what their financial picture is like now? Um, one of the journalists had described their bet on buying the, um, the water bank as, as a gamble. Mm -hmm. Has that gamble run its course? Is it now refilled because of the rain and snow and sleet and weather over the last couple of years? And also, is there Maybe this isn't you know, distinct from those two things, but was there any sense of remorse or regret on, you know, are you getting any sense from, of regret in how they played the water game from the wonderful company? Um, I, I mean, I, I, can't, I can't actually speak to their, their wealth and what's happened in the past couple of years um, with the drought. We, you know, we know what we saw. They were you know, pulling out trees. Um, that to me says that you know they don't have enough water to sustain the amount of almond trees and pomegranate trees that they had had in previous years that were wet. Um, I do know that they did apologize for um, pretty much bulldozing like a whole kind of hill of oak trees in Paso Robles. Um, and uh, yeah, we we you know we did reach out to them. We wanted them to participate, but uh, we didn't get. I'm, and I'll add, I don't want to be critical of the movie at all. I, I love the movie. I think that's a, that's a, that was a, that's a, the, that narrative is true. But Vidovich's perspective is kind of particular as a neighbor and competitor to, he's, I, I sensed a little bit of jealousy on him. Like, I think he'd like to see some shot, I had some shot in Freud about, oh, Resnick's hitting, you know, he, he, he grew too many almonds. I mean, 2014 to 2015, they've added 100,000 acres of almonds in southern San Joaquin Valley. So the 10,000 acre feet they took out, I mean, they're shuffling stuff around based on where they can get the water, but he's, he's not hurting. Yeah, I mean, the, the Vidovich is one of them. I mean, he's, he, he, it's not, think of his perspective. I mean, this is the scale of, the, I, I, they're not, they are not financially suffering by any means, by at all. And they're still sending an army of lawyers to every hearing that I go to. I mean, they're, they're paying a lot of lawyers to fight this thing. It's not like they've given up the golden goose. I will say though, long term, and I think there's a, this, the movie talks about this, there is gonna have to be a contraction there. You know, 30, 40, 50% contraction in their, in their acreage, acreage planted. And Resnick will suffer at that point, whether it's happening now or 10 years from now, we don't really know. Uh, one of the things that came up in the movie was this kind of these people, ordinary people in rural areas who were without water for their homes. And I'm wondering, it seems like the battle to kind of the fight for water rights is something that's been going on for a long time, something that's going to continue to go on for a long time. What does it take to get water for those people now? And in the communities where they are, what kind of, I mean, it's like they were right over the, uh, the aqueduct. What fraction of water in these communities would actually be consumed by those people? I mean, it'd be, I think it's incredibly easy. It should be incredibly easy. It should be cheap, and it's not that much water. I mean, that, you know, 20% of the water goes to urban uses, and that includes all of industry. I mean, so people, residences in these towns, it's not that much. But when you base your water supply system on a tax base that's based on a incredibly low-paying wage economy, um, and you have people that have re settled places that are far away from the municipal water supplies, 
you know, in the movie could have done, you know, there's a billion different stories. There's like African-American towns that are, were intentionally like redlined out of the municipal areas and now they're without water also. And it's like, well, what are you, well, what are you doing living out there? It's like, well, you know, that's the only place they were allowed to live. And there's a lot of historical racism and, and structural things that have, have created this problem. So then who pays for those pipes to get the water to them? And that's, mm -hmm. you know, these, 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 these counties are not that rich, so. Yeah, and a lot of these places are actually, I mean, as Adam's saying, they're not connected to the state water system. So they do rely on groundwater. And that's, you know, that's when it comes into question, like, so these big agricultural, like, you know, growers are pumping all of the water from every single neighbor around them. Like, you know, they used to be able to sustain themselves off of like a well in their backyard. But when the big, you know, vineyards come in, when the big pistachio farmers come in, their groundwater's, you know, that's their supplies. Uh, so I, I think we can beat up on this from the perspective that you've been hearing. But look, don't you think that in the richest country in the world, this is a failure of the state? That's the fundamental problem here. Because delivering that water is not that expensive. Mm -hmm. uh, taking care of these folks is not such a big issue. And we have 2 million people in the country facing the same thing. I, I totally agree. I think it's. A, I think the state's the solution. The state's. The state's the is to blame, and the state's the solution. Absolutely right. Uh, well, with that, I think we are out of time. But uh, thank you all for a very interesting discussion. Thank you for listening to this New America NYC podcast. This recording carries a Creative Commons 4.0 international license. To learn more about New America, please visit us at newamerica.org.